So good to be with you this afternoon. And I want to make a few corrections maybe to some things that Brian said in my introduction. I do look at my eight years here, not as the director of youth, but really the director of games. <laughs> I was told multiple times while I was here that I'm the games guy. And as I've left and been away for some time and, you know, interacted with some of you, I know now that I, uh, what's always brought up is the games. And so I know where my legacy lies. It's with the games. I did some other stuff as well. Not as important as the games. Did that for eight years, but a year and a half ago, I was sent by this church to pastor the flock that God had called together at Redemption Newmarket. And uh, my wife, Amber, and three kids were going to be here with us this morning, but as many of you are right now, they are sick, and so they had to stay home, but they send their greetings as well. Uh, I want to let you know that the work that God is doing at Redemption Newmarket, it cannot be separated from the work that God has been doing in your midst in the maturing that he has been doing of this church. In many ways, uh, Amber and my story, it cannot be told apart from the eight years that we spent here. If you were to look at my life and see any growth, any positive thing in my life, I could point you to the exact person, maybe it was an elder, staff, church member, I could point you to the exact person that God used in our lives to be sort of like the scalpel to mold us in that way. And so we can't tell our story apart from the work that God did in us here, and yet even to this day, I find myself just saying regularly, like, I could not do this apart from Redemption Durham. In very many ways, your church is an older brother to our church, and, and we just find ourselves leaning on you day in and day out. I have just found the best thing that I can do when I don't know what to do is just call someone from Redemption Durham. And so I say that just to say this, I know nothing, Redemption Durham knows everything, but also to say this, that you guys are in good hands. I, uh, I thought a lot about this. I don't want to you know, speak in hyperbole, but by now you know my bias. I truly believe that your pastor is one of the greatest pastors in the world. And yeah. And um, he's been used so, you know, so remarkably in my life, and he is backed by a pastoral team and a staff and elders that are also some of the greatest in the world. So I'm just, I'm so thankful for you guys, and I cannot express that enough. I wanted just to maybe share a quick update on what God is doing at Redemption Newmarket. We find ourselves just so blessed. Um, God has been working. We've been seeing lost people saved and saved people matured and mature people multiplied. And that can't happen apart from God just doing a work that kind of blows you away that you, you could not never even expect. And so just to share maybe some of the glimpses of, of what we're excited about. In the past two months, we've baptized eight people. And in January, there's going to be about 20 people who are stepping into membership. And so at 28 people, plus my family, that's pretty much the whole church right there. And so we're just... <laughs> praising the Lord for the work he has done. And yet, as we look at all the blessings, and, you know, I could go on about what God has done and is, is doing in our midst at Redemption Newmarket, I can also say this, that it has not gone as planned. In fact, I, I would have never voiced this. In fact, if I had voiced it, it probably wouldn't, you know, I probably would have lost the candidacy for the job. But I kind of had, like, I think this inner expectation as I look back that as I went to that church, I might be, like, the savior of the people, like, they have a lot of problems, and I am here to solve the problems. But as I've been there, I've discovered one thing, and that's just that I have a lot of problems. And so God has been doing this work where I'm kind of on this, this platform that Scripture says is such an important and crucial platform, and yet at the same time, God has been just revealing sin after sin in my life. Like, I have never looked in the mirror and seen so much greed. I just didn't know what was there before. Some of the youth are like, yeah, we saw it all along. 
We always knew. I didn't. I've never seen pride in, in such a deep way. Like there, there are days I've come to realize I don't, I don't know that I spend a second thinking about anyone other than myself. I've become so aware of my sin, and it's for that reason I want to bring you to this promise that that really has been life to me in these days. And it has been a light on some very dark nights. It has been a warmth on some very cold days. And that verse is Philippians 1.6. Now, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, our beautiful ushers, we always pick the most most handsome people to be our ushers. Sorry if you didn't make the usher team. They're going to come to the front. And they are going to uh, hand out God's word. You can stick your hand in the air if you don't have a copy. If you don't own a copy, you can have this. Paul Flannery is going to pay for it himself. And we're going to dig into God's word as he has spoken to us in Philippians 1.6. Now, let me be upfront about my goal this morning. I imagine that in your house, you have like a little hall of fame of verses. And that all your favorite verses are up there. And my goal this morning is for you to go home you know, after this service, and write down, maybe on a cue card, Philippians 1.6, and add this to the Hall of Fame, to add this to the list of your favorite verses. Because I truly believe that if you kind of squeeze out every ounce of promise that is in this verse, you have a verse that will, and, and a promise that will encourage you on the darkest of your days. And so let's read these words together. Here's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Here's the truth for you this morning. Paul has this, this indestructible confidence in the direction of your story. Paul has this confidence that no matter how messy the middle of your story gets, if he has begun a good work in you, he will bring it to completion. And so Paul this afternoon, he's, he's kind of like that friend we have. Anyone have this friend? It's probably, someone's probably in this room like this. You know, you watch a movie with them. And they're constantly, like, they've never seen the movie, but they're constantly telling you how it's going to end. Oh, you know, this person, this main character, they're going to die. And the thing that upsets you so much about that isn't just that they do it. The thing that upsets you about that is that they're always right. Like, somehow they always figure, no, no, you're, you're like, there's no way that could happen. And, and then it happens. And Paul, this afternoon, he's like that friend to us, so that he wants to look into the life of every believer who, who God has begun a good work in, and he wants to say this. You're going to make it. You're going to make it to the end. And Paul, he's, he's writing these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so we could say this with even greater power, that, that God wants to look you in the eyes this afternoon. And, and if a work has been begun in you, he, he wants to give you this confidence that it will be completed. That you are going to make it. That no matter what might happen, no matter the trajectory of your life right now, no matter what unseemingly bearable, unbearable suffering you are enduring in life or will endure this year, God wants you to have this confidence. You are going to make it. There will be a day where you meet him in glory and, and he speaks these words to you. Welcome home. And because this is a confidence that God has in your story. This is a confidence that, 
that we need to have, that he offers to us this afternoon. And so I want us to leave with this assurance. And I want to see three things. I want you to see three things that God is offering us as, as we consider the work that he began in us, if that work has been begun. First thing I want you to see is this. Because God's at work, I have an unshakable conviction. I have an unshakable conviction. Look at what Paul says in verse 6. He says, I am sure of this. Can I ask you a question? What are you absolutely sure of in life? Like, what is so deep in your inner being that, that you would declare, like, this is a conviction. I cannot be shaken from this conviction. As, as left is left and right is right, this is true. What are you sure of? There are probably many things. You know, we can start at the basic level that we're pretty sure. I mean, I went to Bible college for a reason, but I'm pretty sure one plus one is two. Someone do some, you know, calculating for me, figure that out. There are other things maybe that are a bit more subjective, like a parent's love for your child. Like there's this sense of like you know that nothing could change your love. You love that child so much. And even though the one sitting beside you right now, you know, they test you. They really test that. You, you just love them. It's so certain. Well, this morning, God's concerned with the way that you categorize your confidence in the work that he is doing in your salvation and therefore your sanctification. And God's desire this afternoon, it's really hard to get that morning-afternoon thing down, eh? isn't it? That's one of the most impressive. That's why he's the best pastor that there is. That is really difficult to do. He wants to drive that conviction deeper down into our being. And he wants to drill deeply down into the deepest parts of who we are as human beings and, and place there this unshakable conviction that his grace will always be sufficient to meet your need. Now, the certainty that God wants to place deep within us, it's, it's a certainty that's deeper than opinion. You and I have opinions, don't we? In fact, I'd love to share some opinions I have with you. I was thinking about this uh, during the worship set. I think that Mark Sylvester is the greatest electric guitar worship leader in all the world. That's an opinion that I share, that many of you share with me. I, I have this opinion. I think that this Easter... Pastor Ian should let Mark Sylvester, the greatest electric guitar worship leader in the entire world, let him do 32 bar, a 32-bar solo on Jesus Paid It All. We'll extend the stage out to the middle, and Mark can, you know, he'll walk out, kind of like some Eric Clapton. He'll get on his knees. He'll just shred. Give him 32 bars. The guy's worked for 12 years. There should be a rule, three bars per year, okay, that he gets just to solo. And I will be here for it. Here's another opinion I have. This is just the rest of the sermon. It's just opinions. <laughs> and uh, this, this opinion, actually, I, I was like on thin ice here at the church for a while because of this opinion. I, I traveled to Romania with Pastor Ian, and uh, this opinion became very relevant. I think that olives are the most disgusting thing in the whole entire universe. Amen. amen. Okay, so some people who have never probably said amen in a sermon are with me. They're like, finally, someone who's preaching, <laughs> preach. Other people are like, I can't trust this guy anymore. I am leaving. I'm resigning my membership. But I understand this, that, that opinions change. Then they can kind of change. They're kind of like surface level at times, aren't they? So that even, you know, a few days ago, I know that your taste buds change every, you know, seven years, they say. And so my wife, she loves olives. So I picked up an olive, and I was shocked by this. I put it in my mouth, and it's still the most disgusting thing ever. <laughs> and yet I understand this, that opinions, they're kind of like this, these surface level beliefs that we have. And yet convictions drive to a much deeper 
level. And it's our convictions that God wants to speak to this afternoon. And as we differentiate between opinions and convictions, that's not to say that our convictions are unchanging. Like you and I could probably, you know, come up here and tell some hilarious convictions that we once had. Like, and, and we look back on religious, like, I could not believe that I once believed that. And yet at that time, it was like this deep-seated conviction in my life. But it is to say this, that when we address our convictions, it, it changes us at the deepest human level. Opinions can change without much impact. Convictions, they change everything. Convictions, they are unwavering against the tirade of external circumstances. Convictions are, they're able to wade in the storms of life, and and when everything is a mess, when everything's going wrong, when everything seems like, from my perspective, it's the complete opposite, convictions remind you of what is actually true. And so what God is doing, hopefully through the power of the Holy Spirit in this this moment, is, is inserting a conviction deep into our inner being that we are going to make it. And so we come back to this. What, what are you sure of in life? And God is speaking to us and telling us we can be sure of his grace. That we can be sure of his grace. Now this, this promise in Philippians 1.6, it is really a phenomenal promise because what God is, is really doing in this moment is he is daring you to believe that no matter how messy your life gets, so long as his work is begun in you, it doesn't matter how the middle looks, it will be completed. It doesn't matter if you're on the greatest mountaintop of your life and everything is amazing. It doesn't matter if you're in the deepest valley of your life. He he is daring you to believe that his grace is deeper than you could ever possibly need. Now, about six months ago, as we had begun to do this work at Redemption Newmarket, my family and I moved to a city called Bradford. That's not Brantford. It is even more boony than Brantford. It's Bradford. And we consider ourselves a bunch of boony hillbillies now. Ian was there. He thought, this must be Mars. There is no life here. Like, this is rural. And so we live on a well, and we're adjusting to that life. Our well is not very deep. And so a number of times since we've moved there, uh, we've run out of water. And that changes everything. When, when, you know, when I was in Oshawa, that was like the glory land. <laughs> Oshawa, you never thought you'd hear it, hear it. It was amazing. I mean, sure, there's kangaroos running everywhere. <laughs> it is a zoo. Since I left, it's gone completely to shambles. But when I turned on the tap, something amazing happened that blows my mind now. Water came. It was Lake Ontario water, so it was a little green and radioactive. But it was Water. And it was amazing. I could turn the tap on and leave, and I could come back, and it would still be going. It, was just, it just seemed, I never even thought about it. It just seemed like this endless supply. Now, flash forward to Bradford, where, where water is constantly limited to supply. My daughter, a few days ago, got in trouble for washing her hands on full blast. We told her, this isn't a car wash. You wash your hands on the little sprinkle setting, okay? If there's not soap that can't come off your hands because the water's not high enough pressure, you haven't done it right. You never use full blast. Now, we talk about this day. We're going to have a new drill weld in the spring, and so, you know, some of you are really worried. You're writing an email to Ian right now. You got to get him back, man. This guy's really struggling. (laughs) 
And, and we talk about the day that we're going to have sufficient water. And, and it would shock you to hear, you know, if you are one of those, you know, blessed Oshawa glory landers and you have water, it would shock you to hear, you know, we talk about the day that we can just like take a bath and not even worry about it. Or like run, you know, two loads of laundry in a day and just be like, oh yeah, that's fine. Because we long for that day that the well will be deep enough that we don't even have to think about it. And, and Christian, do you know that God offers you a deeper well of his grace so that no matter how low you can imagine yourself going, no matter how much shame you personally can heap onto your shoulders, no matter how bad you think life gets, God's grace will still be deeper. The tap of his grace will always turn on. No no matter how far your life feels to get from God, if he's begun that work in you, when you go to God, when you draw near to him, he will draw near to you with his grace. And so do you feel the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit right now, like pressing this promise deep into you at a conviction level, like I am going to make it. God has got this. No matter how crooked the path can get from salvation to heaven, God's grace is sufficient. It's sufficient to call us back from waywardness, to stir us up from apathy, to hold us up in the deepest of sufferings, to defeat any enemy we might ever face. God's grace is sufficient. And so this is what God is doing this afternoon. He he is daring you to believe that. Daring you to believe that as much as you know you're messed up, and, and as much as you struggle to get your life together to live for his glory, He's looking at your most wayward path and he's saying, try my grace, try it. And you're gonna find it's gonna carry you. It's gonna be sufficient. And so another way that maybe we could phrase this is is by asking this question. Who, Who do you think is more committed to your growth? Do you think you're more committed to your growth? Or do you think God is more committed to your growth? See, some of us have this kind of idea that God is like, as soon as we mess up, we're like, oh, he's like, okay, I'm done. No, this guy, he just can't get it together. Like, if he could just get it together, I would be with him. But this guy just can't do anything. And yet, God, you will find as you search the scriptures, and especially as you see Philippians 1.6, that he is infinitely more committed to your growth than you could ever be. You know what this means? I love this. Philippians 1.6, it is in your Bible for when you really suck at being a Christian. When you have nothing together, when you said that angry word to your wife again that you said you would never do, when you struggle with that sin that you have struggled with for so long, if God's work has begun in you, it will be brought to completion. Second thing I want you to see this afternoon is that because of God's work in me, I have an unstoppable pilgrimage. I have an unstoppable pilgrimage. Here's what I love about this verse. God is telling us that our faith is a journey, Our faith is a journey. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are in the middle of a story. It is not completed yet. And I think John Bunyan, he he so helpfully understood this journey of faith when he wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. And I'm sure that many of you are familiar with The Pilgrim's Progress. It is uh, one of the most popular books published in the English language, I believe, apart from the Bible. 
And the reason why it has been so beloved by so many Christians over such a long period of time is because it so helpfully depicts that our Christian life is not like this straight line from salvation to glory. It is this wayward path where we face constant enemies. There are constant detours. It's a hard path to walk. And that story is so beloved because we look at it and, and we see, like, that's my story. Like, I can relate to so many of these things, that, that these adventures that this main character, Christian, goes on. And so as we look at this verse, what is, I want to ask this question, what does God want us to understand about this pilgrimage that we're on? And the first thing I want you to see is that it's already begun. Look at the language there. Look at what Paul says in, in verse 6. He says that he who began a good work in you, notice that that language is past tense. If your faith is in Christ, if you have believed on him as your Lord and your Savior, this is not a work that is about to happen. This is not a, 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 a work that God is looking to like download in your life at a later point. This is a work that is already happening. And so you could kind of say this, like the GPS of your soul, it already has heaven plugged in. You're already on the way. And so then we ask this question, well, when did this work begin? And we're told all throughout scripture that salvation was planned before the foundation of the world. That your salvation was not a surprise to God, but in fact, in Ephesians 1.4, it says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 to 10, this is going to come up on the screen. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who, listen to this church, saved us. And called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is a work that God is doing now that he began planning before the ages began. That is really good news. Everything about your life. You look back and you see all these things like nothing has gone according to plan. You know, that sin I thought would be kind of dealt with quickly, it still lingers. You look back and you're like, man, this is not what I planned. I thought it would be totally different. And yet God looks at it and he's been planning that for, since eternity past. And I love that because you can put a lot of trust in things that have been planned for a while, can't you? Like if you are uh, building a new house and, and your contractor comes over and they pull out a napkin and they start writing the blueprint for the foundation on, on that napkin, you are going to be like, okay, listen, buddy, I would like a little more planning to go into the foundation of my house. Like this is really important. And God is looking at each of us this afternoon and saying, hey, hey listen, your story, the story of redemption in your life, it has been planned before the ages began. And so we take every, every encouragement from that. God, who is perfectly powerful, who is infinitely wise, who is altogether good, has been planning your pilgrimage. All the ups and downs, planned. All the wayward paths you've walked on, part of the plan. All the besetting sin that you thought would be dealt with so quickly, part of the plan. Now, this is so good for us to hear because, because I think so often, I kind of had this idea when I was saved. You know, I was saved when I was in grade six, and I was wearing something really cool. Can I tell you about it, what I was wearing? I was wearing this 
bathing suit, like button-up shirt combo, and it had flames on it. And you laugh now, but the way that fashion's going in like three days, that's going to be back in style. So anyways, that has nothing to do with the story. I just like to mention where I've come from. The youth are like, not much has improved, but here we are. Okay. So, but I kind of thought, you know, I, I was saved in this countryside and walking out, I kind of thought like, so my sanctification is going to be this straight line. It's just going to be up from here. Like God had miraculously saved me and, and he had very quickly taken some really like, the, some sin that I was struggling with as an unbeliever for a very long time. He just healed of me, it of me in a, in, in a moment, like the snap of my fingers, I was healed. And so I kind of had this perspective that like, this is how life is going to go. In fact, someone told my mom, who was saved along with me, that her winter tires would never run out. And it's been years since there, and she's gone through tons of winter tires. But all that to say, you understand, like, I had this idea that, that sanctification was going to be this straight line. Now, I was never prepared for the first bump in my ride that would take me completely off the path. I was never prepared for like that first battle with sin, where it's like, I was no longer pursuing God's glory, now I was pursuing myself. I was never prepared for that time that I would like, like if you were to ask me, I would say like, I don't even think, I don't even know if I want to follow God. Like when it comes to the picture, when it comes to the journey, I wasn't even in the picture. This is really nice. (laughs) Brian, my manuscript's up there if you want to go and just finish. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But as I look back, this is what I realize, that it has all been part of the journey. That no matter how far away from the straight line I have gotten, no matter how much life has not gone the way that I originally planned it, it has always been part of the plan. And so some of us need to take a look at our life and just acknowledge this, like we have been on the scenic route to heaven. And yet we also need to preach this, this promise so deep to our heart in this moment that God is not on plan B in your life. God is not even on plan C. God is not getting together his Trinitarian council and looking at your life and thinking, oh man, he's really messed this up. Like, what, what, I don't even know what we can do. I don't know what we can do. It is all according to plan. Everything. He began this work in you, and you're in the middle of the journey. And his promise to you is that it is going to be brought to completion. And so, you know what should be like this overwhelming sense right now is like this, this sense of peace, this sense of rest, like this, this anxious free breath that you can take now that no matter, like, listen, 2024, it's going to be really messed up. Okay, I'm just doing some statistics from the last four years, and I'm just saying, you know, take the average of the last four years, 2024 is going to be really messed up, okay? And there are going to be some things in your life that you certainly would never plan for, and yet, we have this, this peace that overwhelms us when we hold this promise so close to our heart that nothing will go that is not according to plan. God has got this. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that your pilgrimage is let go and let God. In fact, there are times, and, and you know, 20, the, the, the brink of a new year is especially a good time for this, where you got to like pull out yourself up by your bootstraps, and you got to say like, what do I need to pursue this year? What do I need to work hard at in order that by the end of the year, I might look more and more like Jesus Christ? There are times that you need to do that. And what I'm saying is that those are great times, but what I want you to understand is that those times, they don't come without the, the wind of the Holy Spirit blowing wind in your sails. 
That is the work of God in your life. This is what Paul says. Flip over with me to Philippians chapter two. This is so good. In Philippians chapter two, verse 13. He says, for it is God who works in in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You know what that means? Anytime you've had like this inclination to do something that is like good and righteous, it has been God who has been working behind the scenes. Anytime, you, you know, you feel like this sense in your life, like I just gotta, I gotta pray more this year. I gotta evangelize more. This is not law. This is the God of grace who is blowing wind in your sails and saying, I've planned these works before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 2.10. You're just walking in them. God is the one who is working. So recognize this. We are in a pilgrimage, and it is his pilgrimage. And I want you to see here that Paul tells us that this pilgrimage is his good work. God looks at your journey, the ups and downs, all the things you would have never planned for yourself, and he looks at it, and you can't believe this. Because you've had so many restless nights where you thought about how, how things have gone wrong and how you should have said that thing differently and, and you shouldn't have said that thing at that time. You've had so many nights like that and yet God looks at it and he says, it is a good work that I am doing. And so an application of this is, is this. We, we need to make sure that we never complain about the way that our story is going. That we never complain about the sin that we maybe battle or, that, or the suffering that we endure Because you need to recognize that the infinitely wise, eternally gracious, all-powerful God has planned your trip of sanctification from salvation to glory. He's planned it all. He's so invested in you making it that he's given you this promise that the good work he began in you, he's going to bring to completion. And so we say this just loud and clear. Like I say it again. So I just do not want to be mistaken here. Like look at me in the eyes right now. I, you need to, to hear this. The Holy Spirit needs to press this work in so deeply into your convictions. The work that he began, it can not fail. This is a theological reality. It is a theological reality that, that you are good. That if you're in Christ, you're set for eternity. It's as good as done. Like, we just sang it. And the question now for us is, do we believe it? That the work is finished, past tense. It's done. This is why scripture, it's so comfortable to speak in ways that I think we're not. It's so comfortable to speak in our salvation in a sense of of past tense, in that we were saved. And in present tense, in that we are being saved. And in future sense, that we will be saved. It speaks of our salvation in all of these senses, because we live in in between the already and the not yet. And so with our theology caps on, I want you to see this here in Romans 8. And so many of you are so familiar with this. Look what Paul says. He says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and that those whom he predestined, he also called And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, a lot of us are okay with that language to describe our lives. We're okay to say, you know, as Christians, we've been predestined. As Christians, we've been called. You know, as Christians, we've been justified. 
But did you notice the last word there? Notice that Paul says that they have also, those who have their faith in Christ, have been glorified. Past tense. I was reading this in Ephesians 2, and it blew my mind like I had never read it before. And I know that I had, but I just don't know why it never hit me like this before. But in Ephesians 2, Paul actually says that that you are seated with him in the heavenly places. Not like you will be seated, that, that it's as good as done. You are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And so theologians, they look to this verse and they they call it the golden chain because it just cannot be broken. It is in the grammar of the text. This is what God is saying, that if you have been predestined, you will be glorified. See, the reason for this salvation is, one, because it's God's promise, but, but also because it's the nature of our redemption. When you believed in Jesus Christ, do you recognize you were made a new transformation? This is part of what baptism symbolizes, isn't it? That there is an old self that died under the waters of baptism. I always remind, you know, the people that I'm baptizing, which is maybe we'd have more if I didn't remind them this, but I always remind them, you know, if I hold you under there, you're going to die. Everyone's been good so far. You'll be happy to know. And yet it symbolizes that death to our old self and this resurrection to new life in Christ. We're new creations. Now, this is significant because you need to understand that before Christ, we, we had the law. And the law was great. Law is so good. This is why the psalmist, you know, speaks in, I think, ways where it's probably so uncomfortable with. He says, oh, Lord, I delight in your law. Like, it is good to know what to do. You know what the problem with the law was? The problem with the, the Mosaic law was that we couldn't do it. It doesn't matter if you know what to do. If you just cannot do it, like, you're not spiritually capable of even doing it. And so Isaiah comes along and he says, you know, working for your own righteousness, even in your best moments, it's still like filthy rags. The problem is we couldn't do it. See, maybe you're here and you're not even a Christian and you still recognize this. See, what you recognize is that the world is evil, but you recognize this reality that the most troubling thing about the evil in the world is not just that it is out there, not just that it's on the news. The most troubling thing about the evil of the world is that it's in you. And sure, you might be a good person. You know, you might be a person I'd love to have over for Christmas dinner. And yet there are moments where this this sin nature, it just creeps out of you and shows its ugly head and it destroys everything in its wake. And you look at yourself and you think, I want to be something, but how come I can't be it? It's a reminder to us that in our sinful nature, we are fallen and we cannot do the things that Christ and God has called us to do. But this is the amazing reality. That through faith in Christ, we're told we're given a new heart. You are a new creation. So that the prophets, they say that the law is actually written on your heart. And the Holy Spirit, like, like we just read in Philippians 2, it's like this work, the work that God does in your life is this work of, of you wanting to work and will for his good pleasure. And so Jesus comes And Jesus lives the life that we could never possibly imagine. He dies the death we would never want to die. And he is raised with new life and new power that we cannot dream of possessing in the smallest degree. So that we look at this work that he's doing in us and we proclaim this, God, it is your, it is your work. If I'm going to make it to the end, God, it is, it has to be all you. It is the work that you are doing. This is so personally practical for you. 
You're gonna make it because you are his good work. You're gonna make it because right now in your life, you have a renovator. And that renovator is the Holy Spirit. And you are in construction. And if you are able to pull up the Google reviews of the Holy Spirit, you would see millions and millions of five-star reviews. He has never let anyone down. And he will not let you down. He will bring his project to completion in the perfect time and in the perfect way. Which brings us to our third point. That if God is at work in me, I have an unquestionable future. And so notice where Paul ends in Philippians 1.6. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He'll bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God has a calendar, and on that calendar, he's got like big red Sharpie, and he circled a day. And we don't know when that day will be, but he certainly knows. And on that day, this work that we are currently in the middle of, it will be brought to perfect completion. God has promised it. So that, I love this, the, the end is coming. You know, in our end, it'll be kind of like, you know, you know, in the olden days when you saw the movie and then it finished and went to a black screen and then it came up, you know, the end so that you knew it was the, the end. I would love that in a service, by the way. Sometimes I end these services so awkwardly and people are like, do I leave now? What do I do? And I'm like, no, I got one more announcement for you. But anyways, I'd love that. We should do that. Anyways, the movie of our life is going to come up and it'll say the end and the credits will begin rolling and it'll say hope. And you know who's going to be responsible for every ounce of hope you've ever felt in your life? Jesus Christ. And it'll say joy. And you know who's going to be responsible for every ounce of joy you've ever felt in your life? Jesus Christ. And it'll say peace. Jesus Christ. Salvation. Jesus Christ. Sanctification. Jesus Christ. Glorification. Jesus Christ. And so the day is coming, Christian, where you will be complete. And so I want to ask you this question. When, when you think about that day, what kind of feelings fill you up? Because I, I, I just, I talk to so many Christians where the feeling of that day is just like, it, it's like utter dread. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be ready for it. And they're preparing for that day as though it was a test. I don't know what this was like because of the kind of high school student I was, but I imagine that for many of you, preparing for a test was like, you know, it's the night before, you're cramming, you're trying to get as much as you can in, you're trying to just make sure that you have enough knowledge to get that grade that you want. And many of us are living like, like this is what that day is going to be. And so we're constantly in fear. And people who believe this, they pursue Christ out of compulsion, hoping that, that, maybe that maybe you're even here right now, hoping that like, okay, Lord, I'm here. Add this to the list. Like that list that you bring out when I, I'm at the pearly gates. Add it to the list. I was here. And, and three days ago, I prayed. And we're trying to like make this list that just maybe it'll be acceptable. And I just want you to hear this, this good news. That's not how God is looking at that. On that day, when God receives you, he will be receiving his completed work. And he is going to delight in you, not because of how great in and of yourself you were, but because how 
great his glory shone through your redemption in all the messiness of the middle. He was exalted as the only one that could save. So that other people are going to look, you know, maybe our lives are going to be made into biographies and movies and people are going to watch it and they're going to be like, man, I just don't know how you made it, man. I don't know how you did it. And we will say, it was all God. It had to be God. God will delight in us as his completed work. You know, this December was a bit of a special December for our family. Our oldest daughter, who is six now, it's crazy to believe, she was... Um, she was in a choir. She had been working on this for months. Like, I thought choir was like you just go up and pretend to sing. But I guess it's more than that. And so she was working on this for months, learning these songs to do this performance. And so, you know, I went up there. This is like the first kid I have that's like doing something special. Don't tell my other two kids, but like. And so I'm sitting front row. It's like I'm as proud as Brian Rabia is of me right now, you know? <laughs> more proud. I'm sitting front row. I'm just so ready for this moment. Like, she, she hasn't let me come to any of the practices because she, she wants it to be a surprise. And she comes up. She's like right in the front and center. And she does this performance that is like almost not even passable. It was like, if I look at it objectively, it was a horrible performance. <laughs> she had spent the day before playing in the snow, and so she's like, you know, doing what six-year-olds do. She's, I don't know what she was, what fun is in this, but she's jumping on her neck like this, and so her neck is all messed up, and the whole show, she's going like this, and no, it's not aw, it's like, do better next time, okay? <laughs> and, and she probably sang like maybe 30% of the words. She did not get it at all. Like, it was a complete failure. So is my parenting, by the way, as evidenced by this illustration. <laughs> and yet, as I'm sitting there and watching her, like, my eyes are filling with tears. Not because of her performance. There is much to criticize. But entirely because she is mine. And there, there's just, like, this delight that you... It's like this delight that if you're a father you kinda, or a mother, you kind of know it, but you just you cannot describe it. You can't describe it. It's, it's so full. And I'm such a sinful father, and I just think, man, if, if that was the delight I had in my daughter, on that day, Christian, could you imagine the delight that God is going to have in you where he has been with you every step of the way? And the psalmist says every tear he has caught in a bottle, and every time you've struggled with sin and, and you've made that choice for, for holiness and sanctification. He has been cheering you on and he has been giving you the power to do it and he has been with you every step of the way and on that day, he is receiving his perfect prize that he has sanctified to completion and receiving it for all of eternity. That will be God's delight in you. He's been preparing you for this day for all of eternity. And on this day, he is receiving you as his completed work. All that sin that once separated you that you're dealing with right now, all that suffering that was so hard, it's gone. All the suffering you had to endure, it's over. And what's ahead? An eternity with him where he will delight in your perfected beauty. And because of your perfected beauty, you will delight in his perfect love for all of eternity. That is an amazing day. And Christian, you are promised. Can you, can you do something for me? Can you look at your Bible right, right now? And can you tell me if Philippians 1.6 is there? Is it still there? 
then you're going to make it. And so long as you and I can open up our Bibles and see this verse, we have this promise that he is going to hold us fast. Would you stand and pray with me? Father, we, we, uh, we breathe this spiritual sigh of relief, Lord. And we, Lord, find that your burden is light, Lord, and you carry our yoke with us and that you are so gentle with us. Lord, you love us so much that you are so committed to us we could never even possibly imagine it. We can never even begin to scratch the surface of it. And so in this moment, Lord, because your Holy Spirit is present and, and pushing the supernatural truth so deep into our hearts, we just feel the sense of awe. Because, Lord, we know our sinfulness. We know our waywardness. We know, Lord, that, that if this was up to us, we would have lost our salvation such a long time ago. And yet, Lord, we are given every promise and every indication in your word that it is not, that it has to be your, your work, and that it is a work that is good, and we are promised by the God who has never failed one in one little way. You have never failed your promise. And you have promised those who have their faith in you that this good work you began in them will be brought to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. And so those who have their faith in you now, we lift high your praise, and we proclaim this truth, Lord, that, that it's all you. Lord, you will hold us fast. And so we thank you, God.